0: Hello and welcome to 4books. In this episode, armed with a snazzy new theme tune, I catch up with debut author LJ McQuarter about her brilliant novel Black Snow Falling. Liz is a copywriter and a language enthusiast whose passion for the printed word runs through her work like blue mould through expensive cheese. We had a great time chatting about language and the slow building of ideas, so much so, in fact, that I only asked about her four books 12 minutes or so into the interview. I loved hearing about her choices and inspirations as we sat in the brightness of the spaceship's beam right in the heart of Edinburgh. Today, Four Books Mission Control is back outside again with L.J. McWhirter, whose novel Black Snow Falling is, with its elegant foil hardcover from Scotland Street Press, surely one of the most beautifully packaged oh, debuts of all you. time. <laughs> it's also a terrific read, yeah. with some terrifying imagery and time-hopping adventure. Liz, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Well, thank and you ag- for
1: asking me. Oh,
0: and agreeing to be beamed up to the Four Books spaceship. <laughs> this book was a long time in the writing, so mm-hmm. is that right that you were 12 years from the initial idea to publication.
1: Yes, it was. Yes, okay. yes. Well, in fact, sixteen years from 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 the first idea to to publication, right. but twelve years from first draft to publication.
0: Right. Wow. A
1: crazy amount of time. But there are reasons for that.
0: <laughs> Would you tell us what they are? Because it's an interesting it's thing. I'm al- I'm always yeah. fascinated to hear people's very unique stories of publication. Yeah. You know, no, no two are alike, yeah. and I think it's something that as an aspirant author you're looking for the thing, the method the key that will unlock your publication and so you're looking
1: uh-huh.
0: for a bit of advice and people always want to know how do you get an agent and things like that Yeah. and there is actually no method, no. It's, not a, it's not a mathematical equation there isn't really something that you can apply to it that suddenly will unlock exactly That's what you're right. looking for so what was it, how did it come about for you? I
1: think a combination of serendipity and, per, and persistence, I think, and perseverance. Um, I found an agent incredibly easy, okay, okay. E- easily, in fact she's just over there, Lindsay right. Fraser. Right. <laughs> um, um, it just happened, like falling, falling off the log really, it was just incredibly easy, and I was very fortunate in that, and um, it's just funny how life works out, because in other ways things were a great challenge, because a, a single parent working full time. And so I just had very very little time in which to write fiction. So I was just writing at the beginning of the day and the very end of the day. Just mm-hmm. so I, I had to steal minutes really to do it. And um, and that's really the short answer as to why as to why it took so long. Mm-hmm. But also there are other answers within that. In that, for instance, um, it was a ver- it's a very complex story. Although mm-hmm. the idea started off in a very very simple way. And in a way, I had to work through and write through all the complexity until until, until actually the story felt simple again, right. which was only relatively recently. Mm-hmm. And it just suddenly all worked and just seemed to just all fit together beautifully and just finally, in a way, perfectly. Probably still a few things I'd still like to tweak if well, I reread. Really finished. No, yeah, yeah. you always have to, in a sense, abandon yeah. something, don't you? Um, but I'm really, really pleased with it now, and I think it's the first that it's reached like that and then also OUP looked at it um, in 2007 and I had lunch with an editor and I rewrote it for them and then they didn't make an offer and then I've had various other big publishers doing the same over the years mm-hmm. so so it was being taken seriously which was encouraging in itself after the OUP episode and again I hope this is encouraging rather than discouraging for people yep. in terms of how long it took I had to set it down, because it, I did find it hard that it didn't get an offer. And I started a, another story, which was setting World War II Paris. And so I did all the research for that, and uh, all the timelines, and what anybody at any one point would have known,
0: mm-hmm. including
1: people in war, people in the resistance, wow. uh, somebody in Paris who was involved with the resistance, somebody who wasn't who wasn't at all involved, how much they would have understood. and. And I loved it, Picasso was there and all this kind of thing, um, and I got about three chapters into it and then had to write a very, very large website for a client for the swanky hotel. (laughs) A 30,000-word website and it was too hard to hold together the the universe of that new world in my head at the same time as creating this brand language and, you know, quite a big job for a client. So I had to set it to one side completely and then when I picked it up again, somehow it had gone the idea had gone. And I went back to to this book, Blackstone and Falling, although at that point it was called Stolen Dreams. and um,
0: It was called Stolen Dreams yes, at that point? Yes. Okay.
1: Um, and I just absolutely loved it still. I okay. absolutely loved it in the same way that when I first started to work on it. And I saw exactly what I wanted to do to restructure it. Yeah, I like so it. I started the process of rewriting it again. And yeah. many rewrites later, here we are.
0: Yeah. But it's really interesting what you say about Headspace aspect. Yes. So, yeah. do you work in quite a mental way? You don't have collections of notebooks in which you've recorded oh, all this stuff for. I, I do, I do. And yes. But there's something more significant in terms of your relationship to the story that is internal and that can't be recorded
1: with a yes. note on a page, well, do you think? Isn't it like a feeling?
0: I think so, I yeah. Th- I think, yeah, yeah. think so, yeah. Because
1: For me, (coughs) Bachelor Falling is absolutely a feeling. And it started with a very strong visual idea, but also a very strong feeling. Mm -hmm. And that feeling has never really gone about the book. It was quite intricate and incredibly dark, with the pinpricks of light.
0: That was exactly what I felt reading it as well. So I think, I mean, Mm. I I think, artistically, your your goal is always to take that feeling, and uh, I described it previously as... uh, as this fragile, brilliant bubble yes, and somehow get it on the page and, yes. and make that solid, you know, yeah. and it's, I mean, that is exactly what I took from it. I, mm. I do a, a similar kind of thing. I make do lots of notes and then very rarely ever look at them again, mm, but it's the act of recording it. It's, yeah. all, it's all in my head, yes. you know, and there's, yeah. there's a kind of matrix of stuff in my head uh-huh. and it was something because I'm, I'm no longer teaching. Anymore, mm. and the, the liberation of my headspace
1: oh, from amazing. teaching
0: all the time, yeah. and you know you've got so much in your head, yes. and you know my wife is still teaching, and if you ask her what a certain pupil wrote for a, a folio piece four years ago, she'll tell you, because yes. it's all he- you've just yes. you have thinking to around it. things, yeah. and so getting rid of that, yeah. that sounds too harsh. Yeah, I no, enjoyed no, no. teaching; yeah. I wasn't getting rid of it, <laughs> but being free of that. Yeah. The headspace and the room to play was was uh-huh. amazing, you yeah. know, in, in terms of kind of keeping things in your head like that. Yes. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's that's exactly my experience as well. Our, our ideas, when I mean, you were talking about that, has been an idea that had almost lain and, you know, like a bottle of wine in the cellar for a long time, and, and just matured, and that stayed very permanently imprinted uh-huh, on you. Yes. And you had other di- other ideas in the meantime. Mm. Are ideas for stories something that you find easy to come by? Yeah. Do you find yourself? Yeah, I do. Right.
1: Yeah, it, I, I think probably it's because part of it is that it's my pro- in my pro- my profession as an advertising copywriter. I'm just somebody who does come up with ideas quite easily. Right. And. The problem isn't lack of ideas; it's lack of time, really. But I think it is for all of us. We all struggle with that, don't we?
0: And when you're parenting as well. Yes. I mean, you yeah. have. You know, how old is your, your daughter? Oh, now? my
1: daughter's now twenty-five. <laughs> but actually, so when I started writing, <laughs> yeah, when I started writing, it was she was she was small, yeah. and and um, just being on my own with her, I was doing everything. And, but I I think actually being a parent has really enriched. You know, my journey and, and, you know, selfishly, <laughs> um, and giving me enormous empathy, especially with, with with young women. And it was incredibly creative as well, being a mum, uh, being a full-time hands-on mum was incredibly creative as well. Yeah. So I loved it. Has it influenced,
0: do um, you think, your desire to write for younger people and a, a younger readership?
1: It's a good question. I think when I first started out I was writing quite a lot of picture books right. and they seem to have gone for now mm-hmm. and I, I just, I, mean, I may come back to that but I do think it's probably because I'm not spending any time with my children. Yep. I think if I was I'd probably start to get ideas for picture books again.
0: I'm quite often looking for a babysitter <laughs> so if you do fancy spending <laughs> time with young children and are looking for inspiration <laughs> she is frequently available. Um, <laughs> It's interesting because yeah. my um, my reading of Black Snow Falling it is it is, a, it is a a book for young people but not exclusively. There's nothing uh-huh. uh, you know, it doesn't confine itself to no. a thirteen to fourteen readership. It's right, no, that something that's very accessible for an adult readership. Is, it is it that really? something that you were you were very aware of or are, are you are you conscious of the age of your readership as you're working?
1: I think because I'm quite intu- an intuitive writer, when I had the idea, um, I knew it's for young, for young adults. It just felt like a young adult idea. But also, I felt it always would be that it might resonate with adults. And you know, not all, not every story is for every young person, and not every story is for every adult. I think stories find their readers. Um, but I think because it's a multi-layered tale. It's it's quite rich and layered in meaning, and I think that well, certainly from from from, from kind of what, what we are finding so far, a lot of adults are really really enjoying it and mm-hmm. getting a lot from it. So I think I think it's probably meeting people at different places of need and different places of desire and interest, maybe um, because there's quite a lot going on in it. Um, That's really interesting
0: to think of readers having a need. Mm. Actually, that's that's yeah. fulfilled by their reading. Yeah. Because I think there's I can really see how that applies Ruth's circumstances in the novel. Uh-huh and the, the imposition of her societal duties and things like that yeah. are something that you can imagine really resonating with people at different stages of their yeah. life
1: Well I had to make her very privileged because I really wanted to write about the sexism of the time mm-hmm. and only with her being privileged and educated would she have really experienced the, 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 the depth of the sexism mm-hmm. um, in the 16th century but I'm jumping ahead here Yeah, <laughs> a little bit, a little bit.
0: You have chosen your four books.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Was that a difficult
1: process? It was really hard. Right,
0: okay, good. I'm yeah.
1: pleased.
0: <laughs> I wondered if, Too many if
1: books. I, I always
0: feel you know, I have a kind of list of things like this in my head and it I mean it changes a lot. Yeah. I, I do have as I have said previously, you know, I, I really do have a list of my Desert Island discs, mm. you know, in my head and I actually I yeah. had it written on my phone at one point, mm. which is quite sad. I think it's probably about 25 <laughs> songs long now, which is, you know, it's kind of cheating. <laughs> but, I mean, for me, there is probably...
1: You did a similar thing for a wedding playlist. <laughs> oh, really? Yes, yeah. And it just grows, you yeah. know. But I think uh.
0: I um, I maybe have like, seven or eight that, depending on the day, would swap in and out of favour. But you, yeah. you find this quite tricky to cut down. Yes,
1: I did. I really did.
0: Well, yeah. the first one that you've chosen is The line the Witch in the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. Yes. What age were you when when you read that book and how do you think it's influenced your desire for young writing for young people? I
1: can't remember how young I was when I first encountered it. Probably under ten. I'm sure under ten. I can't remember exactly when. I remember it had an impact on me. It's not a book that I've massively reread, but it really I was just aware of what a powerful story it was, what a powerful idea and how universal it is, how many people love the story of Aslan, and in fact the guy who designed the book cover, I hope Tim doesn't mind me saying this, (laughs) but he once told me how when he was at primary school he kind of disappeared behind a shed somewhere with this girl and they went into the the wood with their arms outstretched and eyes closed calling for Aslan, (laughs) and really hoping that Aslan would appear, (laughs) and I think, I I think, how old
0: was he at this point? (laughs) Probably in the as well. Right, okay, okay.
1: <laughs> but I think was um, it wasn't form or anything? No, 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 no. It wasn't an excuse. <laughs> but um it's I think the the idea of Aslan, this kind of magical, fantastic idea, and also the scary idea of the white witch um uh, just beautiful and profound and mythical and I think must have really deeply impacted me. I mean I think what, what's really interesting is that I hardly read any other fantasy as, oh, a, okay. as a young person. Wow. In fact I don't particularly love fantasy today. Mm-hmm. I love magical realism and science fiction mm-hmm. but it's, it's probably that's where I'm more... those are the stories that I'm drawn to. And when I came up with the idea for Blackstone Falling um, I was walking through a Glen, Glen Etive beside Glen Cove, with a bunch of young people um, young adults who'd had a really hard start in life. I was volunteering for a charity, and one young man, one of these young men who clearly had a very, very tough start in life, um, you know, that would all been referred to us by parole workers and kind of care workers and people. He was telling me how he wanted to be a gardener, and I was so struck by his passion to do this, and and he was saying that now he's been outside of the city for the first time. He was nineteen he'd love to work in a forest actually and I just thought oh gosh I hope nothing else happens for you that just takes that away from this you takes away that yeah. desire for, I just thought how incredible that you had such strong hopes and dreams for the future and I had this writer's what if what if it could actually be taken away from him what if our hopes and dreams were physical things that could t- be taken away from you and I suddenly thought about how it, the idea literally came together in seconds I thought about how um, old religious paintings had, um, they would have halos around the head, you know, those white halos. And I thought, of course, if we had dreams, they'd be around our head, surely, because that's where we imagine, that's where we think. And it's kind of almost the most alive part of us, I think, other than our heart. And then I thought about, well, I heard on the bus on the way back to, uh, uh, to Edinburgh about how William Wordsworth loved Glencoe, Glen- Glenetiff, and called it the land of rainbows, because of the incredible light show down there, because of the steep kind of valley and all the, all the uh, waterfalls and amazing light. And I suddenly thought, of course, of how uh, white light refracted as the it becomes a rainbow. Yeah. And then I thought, of course, a, dra- a rainbow symbolises hope. Mm-hmm. And so our dreams would surely be a rainbow yeah. spinning to white around our head. And I knew as a novel and I knew I had to write it, and it, it, it just possessed me. And in a way, it felt like a Narnia idea. It felt so strong. It felt like it, it. felt like it was true. Yeah. Like this pre-existed idea, yes. existing idea found me. Now I'm not really kooky <laughs> <laughs> no, I about exactly that, but it did feel like it had found me, and I had to write it. These are the
0: best stories, I think. That feel as though they've always existed. Yeah. You know, and I think if you can capture something like that, yeah. and that is what this felt like. Mm. That's, that's the, that's the goal. Mm. that's the absolute, yeah. uh, the real heart of what I think you can achieve as a writer is to, to write something that you have completely pulled out of thin air but it feels completely true. It feels you know. true.
1: It feels such a privilege to write.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely loved the, the opening chapter of Black Snow which okay. felt like a really elemental, eldritch realisation of the BFG.
1: Oh, right. At this
0: point, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, thought, I, I just love this. That yeah. just taken into shone through this prism of darkness. You uh-huh.
1: know,
0: how did the dream thieves evolve into such sinister, powerful beings? And it was particularly the rancid physicality they
1: had. Oh, yeah, so the with yeah.
0: I was i I you know, you can really smell it coming off the page. Oh, so were that's they always good. like that? Was that part of the the yeah. thing that arrived in a, in, a, in an instant or did that evolve over the over the writing?
1: They I suppose they always felt I mean I don't know about evil. Real evil. You because know, they could represent the shadow self or systemic injustice. So also you know, there's also there's a big reader author gap. So there's all sorts of ways of reading them. But I think that the, you know, anything that is really frightening and takes our hope away is surely somehow very wrong and dark and sinister and whatever, however that manifests. In a sense I wanted to write about all those things which could take our hope away. Let's call them the monsters. Of today you know they, they could be some monsters don't have a face like the, like climate change that's really frightening that's the kind of thing that can take hope away from all sorts of people today yeah. or it could be um, being bullied on social media that is monstrous or it could be a bully in the playground some monsters have faces there could be a teacher or a parent or, or a, a friend who turns on you. I'm just obviously talking about the very darkest things in life now because most yeah. of life is wonderful and fantastic, yeah. but these things exist and, and so I think all of that went into my creation of the Dream Thieves. I just thought anything that's going to be mean enough to, to take our hopes and dreams away is going to be absolutely rotten and stinking and horrible and, and, and incredibly dark. And so it it just kind of crept out of my writing. I didn't even have to look very hard for them. I think at first one of the dream thieves was actually made of stone.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, but then actually I realised that it would be simpler to have them all exactly the same. Mm-hmm. That's So but it it's it more like a kind of the they're kind of almost like giant rats in a way. Kind of just I don't know. I don't, I don't want to say too much. I don't want to. I want to let people imagine them for themselves Hashtag when they read it. spoilers. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely.
0: So no, keep that under your yeah. hat. I, just, <laughs> but, I mean, I, th- I think it's, it's enough to say how elementally wrong they feel. Yes, they which do. Which is exactly what they have And they are. And
1: isn't that how it feels when yes. something happens that just feels wrong and, and it just maybe demolishes you for a little bit? Yep. Um, that's how it feels.
0: Well, you've, you've really achieved that. Thank and you. your second choice. For the mm. spaceship is more than this by Patrick yes. Ness, the wow. first writer, to be chosen yes. twice. Yes. What is it about his work that oh. makes you want to take it with you as you drive oh, through space? Just why amazing. this one of, of all?
1: I think, um, I think that I was really struck by how successfully he conveyed this whole of the world, just, just so beautifully, so incredibly truthfully and you utterly believe it you never don't believe it he, he just he's such a masterful world order I think and as I said before I almost prefer science fiction to fantasy really mm-hmm. I haven't you know I haven't actually read Lord of the Rings
0: All oh, right, okay
1: <laughs> or I, The Hobbit
0: <laughs> well do you, I, I've never read The Hobbit actually <laughs> I, I, I did read Lord of the Rings
1: you know I, I can
0: take it or leave yeah. it I have to say it's, yeah. it's interesting I, I, I have quite a a kind of ambivalent relationship with genre because I really love it and I love genre tropes and playing uh-huh. around with things like yeah. that. But the 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 pigeon holiness of it, I think, yes. is not necessarily uh, always to be desired. Yes. You know. But no, that's interesting because I mean there are elements of your book that, that are definitely fantastical and and would mm. fall within that the kind of broad church of that.
1: This is the irony. Yeah, but this <laughs> yeah. is I
0: mean it's not necessarily something that you've gone you've gone specifically looking for or anything. No, that's that's no, just no. The, the shape. So it, the story ju- it too. just was
1: what the story was. So so I think, you know, I, as a as a young person I used to often think about how mind blowing space and time was. And how um, I used to think about maybe time blips and how perhaps, you know, with the universe being so fast and vast and how uh, you know, Brian Cox the physicist, the former pop star, how he Uh, He thinks that there are possibly multiverses, multiple universes sitting on a membrane and beyond that who knows what there is? It's a mystery. So I think we we see through Glass Darkly, we know so little really Mm -hmm. about ourselves and about the universe. And So I, I used to think, I wonder whether time really does go smoothly forwards. Maybe there are little time blips and that's when somebody sees a ghost or an alien. They're seeing somebody from the past or the future. You know, yeah. So that idea fed into Black Snowfall yeah, as well with our two timelines. Well.
0: Yeah. Talking about about the timelines, you're obviously a, a really big history fan. Yes. And that's that's manifest in your in your third choice for the spaceship, which is Will fall by yeah, Hilary yes. Mantel. Yeah. Tell us why you've chosen this one. Uh, because the, the Tudor court looms over much of the action yeah, in the book. Yeah. And what is it about that period of English history that draws yes, you yeah. and so many other writers?
1: Yeah. It's such a fascinating time. Um, The first first decision was about the fact that because it felt like magical realism rather than full-on fantasy, I needed a a real world into which this fantasy world could collide. Mm -hmm. And I needed to locate it somewhere where people could lose their hopes and dreams very easily. So if it was today, it would have to be somewhere like India, where there's very little safety net in society. because even here today, an awful lot lot has to happen for somebody to really give up on hope. Whereas here in the past, that wasn't the case in the Shakespearean time, in the time of Elizabeth I and Henry VIII, when when this is set, um, there was no safety net whatsoever in society. And also, we have the end of the Renaissance. It was early modern Britain. You have the beginning of the middling class. Thomas Cromwell in Wolf Hall, he is early middle class. Um, there, there, is, so kind of there is a sense of social mobility for the first time ever. A sense that somebody could hope for, for a better position or for perhaps even daring to believe as a young, young woman that you might have a little bit of a choice about your life yeah. as Ruth does. It was quite plausible. Your, your, your understanding about a world beyond your own because books have been around for a hundred years even though there are very very few books and Ruth has access to books. And um, so I was able to, both Ruth and Jude, my two main characters, and Silas in another way, um, they are both are trapped in the tectonic plates of culture. If you imagine culture being like a planet, and, and there are these earthquakes going on in the 16th century yeah. because you've got the early modern Britain and the late Renaissance grinding against feudal, feudal systems and... Religious battles and all sorts going image. on, yeah. and Ruth and Jude are completely trapped and squashed in these in these shifting plates. So they are people of their time, but in the same way today, we've got different dynamics and culture. That you know, the rise of the right, right wing again, and all sorts of things happening today that are grating with other things that are so progressive. Um, so. It, and Ruth's story is really every girl's story. She's a, a kind of, you know, the things that happen to her. She ends up feeling betrayed, and her understanding of the world is shattered. And how often that still happens to young women, or people of any age, really, today. And when she's heartbroken, it doesn't just devastate. It doesn't just break her heart. It splits apart time, which is when she encounters these green things coming for her very hopes and dreams. So it just it's this dark glittering time into which the Dream Thieves fitted perfectly I felt
0: it's mm-hmm. a really interesting way of thinking about it is the interaction and the, the grinding mm. which people cannot see because you've been miming beautifully is <laughs> those interactions yeah. and the, the irritation of that is, yes. where, is where the story comes yes, from yes that's right, the, the grit lovely, you've mimed yes. that beautifully as well we really, we, we need a, we need a video need a camera video. for that <laughs> There's a real reverence for mm-hmm. artefacts and you've talked about Ruth's books yes. which are very tactile mm. and in your acknowledgements you talk about the ancient texts oh, that have yeah, inspired conscious.
1: you yeah.
0: and including the original copy of Copernicus that yes. you actually held in your hand. Yes. So is yes. the physical printed word something that's always meant a lot to you? Yes, yeah. And And are you a Kindle reader then? How do you feel no. about Kindle writing? <laughs> I wondered.
1: I'm sure I probably will get a Kindle but I do love books. And I was very lucky because my parents had loads of books when I was growing up. My mum was an English teacher. And, um, the,
0: the finest people. The finest English people indeed. Kez
1: I read many times and Jane Austen when I was quite young and all the rest of it. So I was very, very lucky to be exposed to amazing books. But my dad used to love smelling books and you know, ink on books. So we'd have this little competition about who, who would smell smell the new book first. And I think I've always loved books as physical objects, so it is just a real thrill that my first book
0: yeah. they've
1: made such a beautiful physical it is thing. Extremely beautiful. Hardback yeah. foil with foil black I end papers. I put <laughs> that
0: on my in my Instagram story, as you know, the the, little,
1: the,
0: <laughs> the light in my kitchen. Yes, catching the foil its quite yeah. it's a, it's definitely <laughs> a striking piece. Your final mm. choice for mm. your space journey mm. is and this is this is a four books first. A collection of poetry, yes. which is The Treehouse by Kathleen Jamie. Yeah. Are you a committed reader of poetry? Because poetry can be yeah. very personal, so yes. what made you choose this one collection?
1: I think there's a couple of poems in there that just I go back to quite often, that one is The Wishing Tree and the other one's Alder, and they are just so beautifully written. She's such a beautiful writer. And I adore language. I mean, it probably is why I'm a copywriter as well. I love playing with language. I think English is amazing. It's so incredibly delicate and ambivalent and ambiguous. And, and it's gorgeous. English is gorgeous. And, and, and um, it's, it's, you know, Britain itself is such a confluence of so many different things and influences. And, that, and I think all this eclectic gorgeousness can come out in our language. Mm-hmm. And poetry, I think, I find it easier to read poetry when I'm writing fiction as opposed to other fiction.
0: I was going to ask you. Yeah. I'm I'm really interested in that because Mm. I think poetry, that distillation of language. Yes. There's something about the, the purity of it as opposed to the narrative drive of a story uh-huh. because I find it really difficult to read fiction when I'm writing. Yeah, you do as well. So. Is that right? Yeah, okay. so yeah. I read non-fiction a lot. Yeah, me too. Right, okay. as,
1: And often because I'm doing research, especially for something yep. like... that. You know, but it doesn't get in the way I find. No, it doesn't. It doesn't yeah.
0: It doesn't uh, kind of corrupt. So. The ideas yeah. or, or change the, the voice that I have or anything like exactly. that? Exactly. Right, I, okay. I wouldn't
1: allow myself to read Philip Pullman or J.K. Rowling no. for the first four or five drafts right. of this book. <laughs> yeah. And then I finally did and I loved them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I can, <laughs> but, um, understand. Yeah, I can yeah, understand that. That's, yeah. a, that's exactly
0: my experience. But, but as also, well. if
1: I am on a spaceship and taking this seriously, yeah. I w- I'll miss Earth. And, and I think Kathleen Jamie so gorgeously describes our wonderful planet. Yeah. And I am a climate mean, change geek as well, so I just am so upset about what's happening to the planet mm. that breaks my heart really. So just, just the wonderfulness of nature. And you can take that with you. Absolutely. Very
0: nice. I'm really. I'm always very excited when people really think about the practicality of being on a spaceship. <laughs> yeah. do, you, do you believe in aliens? Do you believe in spaceships? <laughs> Is this something possible? Do you think?
1: I think it's absolutely possible. Yeah. Whether whether we'd see any in our lifetime, I don't know, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, why not? Especially if they are Yeah, It's absolutely. hard to believe there's nothing else out I there. I think so too. Yeah. I think so too.
0: Well, we're on your final question now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a cruel one. Someone has has left an old fashioned roller skate in your path <laughs> and you slip comically backwards on it. Full Buster Keaton, arms in the air, comedy trumpet <laughs> noise, the works. And by the time you're back in your feet there is only time to grab one of your chosen four before the beam whisks you away. So which you know, one of the four are you going to choose? That's
1: such a mean question. I know. I've been, I know. <laughs> I've been so busy, I haven't had time hardly to think about this at all. Yep. Oh my word.
0: We we can edit the, your thinking time so that this this seems like a much more rapid decision if you like. Okay. Or you can pay tribute to these books by taking the time to choose because it is oh my it word. is a very difficult choice.
1: Wolf Hall I've reread several times already. Okay. So I think I'll leave that. Okay. I think it would have to be either Narnia or the poetry. Okay. Possibly nice. Narnia, possibly because something I didn't say before is that my mum also was sent away during the during World War II, separated from her from her parents. So that really, really affected her, and I think it's part of the reason why Narnia means a lot to me because okay. I know, understand some of the impact it had on her generation. And so I think it has been Narnia. Okay, so,
0: <laughs> Nay luck, Patrick, Hillary, Kathleen. <laughs> it is The line, the Witch and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis, L.J. McWhorter, Thank you very much for speaking with me today. You, you have been
1: beamed up to the four book space. Thank you very
0: much, Martin. So off goes L.J. McWhorter, a copy of The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe in her steely grip. I'm delighted to have had our first volume of poetry and our first twice-chosen author, Patrick Ness, aboard the spaceship in only our second episode, so Patrick is currently two for two. In upcoming episodes, we'll be hearing from writers as various as fantasy authors Taran Matharu and Sebastian de Castel, picture book and screenwriter Emily Dodd, and tartan noir stalwarts Craig Robertson and Doug Johnston all of whom will be whittling down their lists of beloved reads to just four books and giving us an insight into their writing lives. Thank you so much for listening. If you wanted to hit subscribe or give us a review, that would be fantastic. And if you get any comments or questions, find me on Twitter at Martin J. Stewart, that's S-T-E-W-A-R-T, and on Instagram at Martin underscore J underscore Stewart. Until next time then, happy reading.